Uhuru. You're listening to Reparations in Action podcast and FM radio show broadcast live every Tuesday at 12 p.m. on Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida, and now available on podcast as well. Reparations in Action is the weekly program of the Uhuru Solidarity Movement, the organization of white people working under the leadership of the African People's Socialist Party, organizing in the white community to build the movement for reparations to African people. My name is Jamie Simpson, your co-host, and I'm joined in the studio by my co-host, Jesse Neville, who is the national chair of the Uhuru Solidarity Movement. Uhuru, Jamie. Uhuru, good to be here. Uhuru, Jesse. And joining us on the phone is the chairwoman of the African People's Solidarity Committee, the cadre organization of white people for reparations to African people under the leadership of the African People's Socialist Party, Penny Hess. Uhuru, Jesse, and Jamie. Uhuru. Uhuru, Penny. Uhuru, Cheryl, and Penny. So now we turn to Jesse. Just want to say it's great to be back on the airwaves. Great to be here with Cheryl and Penny, with James Simpson, and Amanda Carlozzi, our wonderful engineer. And really want to uh, salute the leadership of Black Power 96.3 FM. We're very honored to have this program on Black Power 96, which is an institution of the African People's Education and Defense Fund that is advancing and defending the human rights of African people, the democratic and and civil rights of the African community, and addressing grave disparities in education, health, health care, and economic development faced by African people. So we're very honored from the Uhuru Solidarity Movement to fight for this mission, and we work under the leadership of the African People's Socialist Party, and we really want to salute the leadership of the party, in particular, the chairman, Omalia Shetala, the founder and leader of the Uhuru Movement, and Deputy Chair Ona Zaneya Shetala, who plays a critical role in leading up so much of the work of the Uhuru Movement to build the economic uh, foundation of an African workers' economy, including APEDF and so much of Black Power 96. Uhuru. And now, uh, Chairwoman Penny yeah, Hess. Leaps and bounds all over the 
be all day, mostly. It's really beginning about 8 o'clock in the morning. So it's so too insane right now. But it will change your life. You will not leave the same person that you came to this event as. It's going to be a powerful event, Uhuru. Uhuru, no, you will not leave being the same person. I fully unite with that chairwoman, Penny Heston, saluting the plenary of the African People's Socialist Party. Again, that's this February 1st through 3rd at Aquaba Hall in St. Petersburg, 1245 18th Avenue South. If you want to register, you can go to APSPplenary.org. And we want to let our listeners know that we are addressing specifically white people or European people who are listening to Black Power 96 and the reason that we do that is that this is an organization that was founded by the African People's Socialist Party in order to go back into the white community and, and win as many white people as we can to a stance of material solidarity with self-determination for African people. And that means reparations. That means owning up to our historical role in the enslavement and colonization of African people and the majority of people on the planet Earth. So this is why we're speaking to you. We're letting you know that you have a role in the African revolution. That role is within the white community, winning other white people to a stance of reparations. And everything that we discuss today, we are discussing through the lens of African internationalism, a theory that guides the African revolution, the African People's Socialist Party, developed by Chairman Omalia Chatella. So all of our understandings flow through that. We are not some white people who came up with this on ourselves. So let's dive right into it. Today, our main topics of discussion behind the headlines, we're going to be discussing the murder of Marquise Golden in St. Petersburg by the St. Pete, uh, by, pardon me, by the Pounce County Sheriff's. It's a very serious issue. We're also going to be discussing the mural struggle, the racist mural that once hung in City Hall, which was heroically <coughs> torn down by Chairman Amalia Chatella, and uh, what's going to happen with that blank space. And we'll also go behind the impeachment trial of Donald John Trump that has been dominating the news. Give that uh, a look from an African internationalist perspective, a solidarity perspective. Mm -hmm. And then we will end with Diamonds and Steel, an analysis of the prison industry, the mass incarceration of African people. So let's get right into this. Behind the headlines, the murder of Marquise Golden. For the first half of our show, we're going behind the headlines to analyze and sum up current events from this African international standpoint. The only way to go beyond the lies, the slander, the distortion in the ruling class media and start to get back, get an honest look into what's really happening. So let's start with the recent brutal murder of 23-year-old Marquise Golden in St. Petersburg, Florida by the Pinellas County Sheriff's Department. So this happened just a few days ago, Jamie and, and Chairman Penny. Um, as you know, this was actually reported on Bay News 9 and other local media, which typically function as basically the, the public relations arm of the Sheriff's Department and the St. Petersburg Police. So we want to talk about what was in the news, and then we want to go, like we say, behind that and look at the truth and, and what the African community is raising about what really happened the bigger picture of what happened on that night. So the way that the media reported it is they, they said that they were following, uh, which I would say they were stalking, um, an African person who was driving a car that they claim was being driven erratically. And they, they went out of their way to say they were not chasing them. And they went out of their way to say that because of previous uh, times when they have chased African people to their deaths. Mm -hmm. And the Uhura movement has, has waged serious campaigns against the Sheriff's Department for that. Um, so they were... I just wanted to add that they say that every time. They said yeah. that was between around black girls. Yeah. They said it was the uh, with the Uhuru movement. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to add that. Yeah. 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 Yeah
So they ran the license plate of the car that they were chasing, and they claimed that they found the home address registered to the tag, so they went there to stake it out. So now they have a sheriff's deputy who's just staking out a house uh, you know, in the African community. Just This is the type of colonial domination and, and just intimidating presence and, that this occupation force has in the black community. So then they claim that two Africans emerged from the house and opened fire on them with assault rifles, which while we absolutely defend and uphold the right of African people to self-defense and to resist the colonial occupation of their communities, the widespread sentiment amongst the community is that this was this is an absolute lie. It makes no sense. The facts don't add up. Clearly, they murdered this. They murdered Marquise Golden. Mm-hmm. They, uh, they 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 w- went there. They killed him. They shot him. And then they are they arrested his friend, um, Delvin Ford, and they are now charging Delvin Ford with second degree murder, just like they charged one of the surviving uh, young African teenagers in the chase that Penny referenced that happened in. Um, I think it was, I can't remember if it was in Clearwater or what, but it was like a, a couple years ago where they chased um, young African teenage, you know, young men to their deaths and they ended up charging one of them who lived with, with murder. So even though Marquise was shot and killed by the sheriff's deputies. Mm-hmm. So um, this news segment on Bay News 9, which featured a disgusting statement, you know, filled with lies from the notorious uh, serial killer, uh, Pinellas County Sheriff um, Robert Galtieri, that this was, you know, a statement that was meant to assure white people that these two Africans deserve what happened to them. And the news anchor said that when we come back from the commercial break, we're going to take a look at their rap sheets. So immediately there was a serious response from the African community who knew that the official story was completely bogus and whose experiences with the Pinellas Sheriff's Department informed them that obviously what happened is that yet again, the sheriff's depu- deputies preyed upon and murdered an African in cold blood and then were pinning it on his friend. The same old blame the victim <clears throat> MO of imperialism. Luckily, the International People's Democratic Uhuru Movement held a rally in St. Petersburg at the Aquaba Hall of the Uhuru House on 18th Avenue South, which was packed with community members, including the, mo- the mother of Delvin Ford and several other of his and Marquise Golden's family members. Delvin Ford's mother said that everyone knew the sheriff's department was lying and that the deputy who had been staking out the house where her son and Marquise had been was notorious in the south side, the, the, the deputy was, for his sleaze and corruption and had been let go by the St. Pete Police Department before he ran off to the sheriff's department who happily hired him, which is a very common occurrence in police departments. Yep. So at this um, powerful, powerful rally that the International People's Democratic Uhuru Movement held, which which had a packed house of, you know, the community that came out. Uh, the director of the Agitation and Propaganda Department for the African People's Socialist Party, Akile Anai, who's also a former city council candidate who won over th- 6,000 votes 
on the South Side when she ran for District 7 with black community control of the police as one of her fundamental platform points, she made a powerful statement at the rally in which she stated that even if the story being told by the deputies was accurate, it would not make a difference to her willingness to stand up for Marquise and demand the full release of Delvin and that African people are colonial subjects living under the gun of police military occupation whose function is to maintain a social system built on the oppression of African people. And Akile also talked about the city's gentrification plans and the safety and security of white people, which is assured through the lockdown and occupation of the South Side by the police and sheriff's deputies. It was an incredible presentation, and Director Akile also reminded the audience that this was the same Pinellas County Sheriff's Department who viciously drowned, tortured, and murdered three African teenage girls just a few years back, as well as scores of other African young people whose lives have been violently cut short by colonial police police murder. Chimaranga Selambao, who is a longtime leader within the Uhuru Movement and the African People's Socialist Party, presented a plan for how the International People's Democratic Uhuru Movement will be taking on this struggle to win justice and reparations for the murder of Marquise, as well as to demand the immediate release and all charges dropped against uh, Delvin Ford, and beyond that, to fight for black community control of the police. Um, not just to go case by case, but to fight for black community control of the police, which will deconstruct the relationship, the colonial relationship that the police have to African people. So there's going to be a mass committee press conference is going to be held actually tomorrow. Um, a series of interviews with witnesses and family members on this radio station are being conducted, and Impedum is investigating this case and raising funds for an attorney for Delvin Ford. Uhuru. Let's turn now to Chairwoman Penny Uhuru. Hess. Uhuru, I really appreciate the story and the, um, you know, just the analysis and, and the understanding put out by Director Keele and the African People's Socialist Party on this. And as a member of the chair of the African People's Solidarity Committee, the white organization of the African People's Socialist Party, working in the white community for reparations to African people, I just want to say that we stand in total solidarity with Antietam, with the family of Marquise Golden, um, with the family of Elvin Ford, and the right of the African community for political and economic power over their lives. And, you know, we stand for reparations. So, you know, I just really unite with Director of Azipapakile's uh, statement that the party would support this even if what the police said were true, right. what the sheriff said yeah. were true. Mm -hmm. and, um, and the party has done that. They have done that. And that, you know, it proves, this case proves, just like so many others, that African people make up a colony inside of this country. And what happens to Marquise, what happened to Elvin, does not happen because of racism. That the U.S. government is at war with African people inside this country. And they even use the term such as war on drugs, yep. and they deploy military troops such as SWAT teams, helicopters, tanks on the streets of the African community. And they've certainly, over the years, used this whole question of the war on drugs as a counterinsurgency tactic um, that began back in the 1970s and, and even in the 60s, criminalizing the entire African community. Um, they take military equipment 
the police take military equipment from the Pentagon and operate massive concentration camps called prisons to such an extent, comrades, that there's only 80 African men to every African. 100 African women and African communities in the U.S. today. Mm. I mean, that's genocide. Yeah. And they created, as Chairman O'Malley Shatella has, uh, has said so many times, a drug economy through economic sanctions, basically, and the wreaking economic destruction inside of African communities, just as they're doing to Iran, yep. to, to Iraq, to um, any place else in the world that is a colony right um and they created a drug economy through this and that really leaving that the only option to put food on the table you know in in many of the african communities and um of course this case has most probably nothing to do with that drug economy but what i'm saying is that that the the U.S. government, the police, the media function in criminalizing the entire African community and justifying the murders and oppression and violence and arrests and mass arrests and everything else that they do to African people, justifying it through this criminalization of an entire colonized population, which, by the way, colonialism does that everywhere around the world and you can look at things like the battle of algiers about how uh, france um, dealt with the uh africans in the north of africa and algeria and uh, also criminalized them and did the same things these are the tactics of counterinsurgency so um you know and, and just that the police function as literally as terrorists mm-hmm. in the African community. And, and it's, there's fear. Um, school children, parents, all sectors of the population, including people that might even be considered, African people that might even be perhaps considered middle class, there's fear when they see the police um, because they lie, they threaten, they frame people, they plant fake evidence, and that's the norm. And so, you know, right now there's massive demonstrations going on of millions of people, it's reported by Telesur, Venezuela, that four million people marched in Iraq um, to say USL. Well, the African community, and especially under the leadership of the African People's Socialist Party and the Black Star Blueprint, are saying US out of the African community. And they are building their own power, their own economic and political power. So. You know, I'm just calling on white people, other white people, to take a stand and to recognize and to never forget, to never be able to forget that our lives, our experience of peace and tranquility um, comes about because of daily violence, just like what happened to Marquise Golden and what is, and then these incredible charges against Alvin Ford, this goes on every day. In fact, this is necessary for our experience of peace and tranquility and goals and and aspirations that we have at the expense of African people and that there will never be an end to police violence 
um, or racism until African people have power over their lives and resources. And that's what the Black Power Blueprint is doing. That's what the African People's Socialist Party, the Vanguard, is doing. The International People's Democratic Movement is doing. And this is our role to win other white people on this pedestal as the colonizing nation, as the oppressor nation, to recognize that we owe reparations that must go back and that African people, the only thing that will solve the problems of African people as stated by the party is political power in the hands of the African working class. So we're calling on everybody to take that stand, to stand in solidarity, and to unite through uh, our responsibility for reparations to African people. I, I just wanted to really appreciate that um, that call that Chairwoman Penny Hess is making to the white community and and understanding um, what you were saying about counterinsurgency and I appreciate the connection that you drew to the the mass you know revolt of the people against the occupation in Iraq and I think it's it's worth noting that the uh, sheriff's deputy who killed Marquis Golden before he uh, got employed to function as an occupation force in the African community, he was in the U.S. military mm -hmm. where he was deployed in uh, Iraq. Mm -hmm. So it's the same thing. The only thing that changed maybe was like the color of his uniform, mm -hmm. but his job uh -huh. was the same, whether he was in Iraq or in right. South St. Pete. Mm -hmm. And 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 we've we've heard so this true. story so many times. When yeah, it comes oh, yeah. to the blatant murder mm -hmm. of African people. Often they they go out and recruit people who have yep. been in active colonized yeah. uh, war zones. And I, I mm -hmm. use the word war loosely because to invade and assault a country the way colonialism does uh, is not war. It's a war without terms. So it, it needs to be said that the Uhuru Solidarity Movement as the white organization of the African People's Socialist Party stands in total solidarity with the International People's Democratic Uhuru Movement, with the African community of St. Petersburg, and with the families of Delvin Ford and Marquise Golden. This is not something you would see happen in the white community. We reject the assumption by our city government and local media that we are supposed to just see the mugshots and rap sheets of these young Africans and take for granted that they must have done something to quote-unquote deserve it. We reject that, and we refuse to be complicit. The African community is criminalized and demonized by a ruthless city government whose goal is to use the police to contain African people uh -huh. and push them out as a part of the overall plan to gentrify South St. Pete, which is just a euphemism for genocide. Mm -hmm. When you replace the presence of African people with high-rise luxury apartments for white people, that is explicitly genocide. The Uhuru Solidarity Movement rejects the city's gentrification agenda, and we will not be part of it. We will be organizing a pushback in the white community to win white people to join the Uhuru Solidarity Movement and build solidarity with the campaign for justice for Mar Marquise Golden and Delvin Ford. This is another reason why reparations are owed to African people here in St. Petersburg, Florida, and everywhere. So, Uhuru. Uhuru. If there aren't any further uh, comments, we're going to move on to behind the headlines and the question of the mural struggle, as it's known. Now, we want to turn to this headline that showed up recently in the Tampa Bay Times. This is one focusing on the most recent discussions happening in City Hall on what to do about the blank wall in City Hall where there used to be a racist white nationalist mural. 
before it was torn down in 1966 by Chairman O'Malley Eschatella in a heroic act of civil disobedience for which he was jailed for over half of a five-year jail sentence. I'm, I'm really looking forward to, uh, to talking about this. Um, I read this article. I wanted to just share an excerpt from it. It says uh, in the Tampa Bay Times, quote, Gwendolyn Reese, who sits on the city's Community Planning and Preservation Commission, appeared before city council on January 9th to make her case for a plaque telling the story behind the mural to be installed on the wall. Though she received unanimous support for a plaque, the controversial issue is far from being resolved. Mm -hmm. And then this is a quote from uh, city council member Darden Rice and a future mayoral candidate uh, who said, the blankness of that wall always bothered me. It always seemed like a scar that never healed. Hmm. St. Petersburg Council Member Darden Rice supports a plaque for the City Hall blank wall. Um, however, Rice said that Chairman O'Malley Ishitella must be invited to be a part of the process. In 2016, after he learned of a plan for a new mural, which was meant to portray a naked, enslaved African man holding a basket of eggs, that was the mural that they were planning to put there, uh, the chairman uh, as, as the Tampa Bay Times puts it, uh, rallied in front of City Hall and vowed to rip down any offensive replacement of the mural that was going to be put up. So there's a lot more to this story than the Tampa, uh-huh. Tampa Bay Times mm-hmm. is letting on. Um, so let's talk about that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very telling that we have City Hall finally at the point where they're acknowledging this cannot happen without Chairman O'Malley Eschatella. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chairwoman Penny Hess of the African People's Solidarity Committee, what are your thoughts on this? Uh-huh. Well, it is a long story, and we've been through this so many times over the years where they're going to the city council. This is not the first time that the city council votes to Mm. put up a plaque uh, in the site, in the empty space where uh, Chairman Amali Chatella tore down and others from SNCC when he was a a member and leader of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee back in 1966. And um, he was sentenced to uh, five years in prison, serving about half that. And um, the city has never apologized, never, um, you know, just that this was, this was a, a welcome act by not only the African community, but by many um, in the white community who were freedom-loving, who believed that African people should be free. This was a mural that had been hanging in City Hall for 30 years, um, painted during the time of the Depression and those kind of Roosevelt programs for artists, for white artists. And it depicted African people in a very, very uh, anti-African, mm-hmm. very... Um, you know, just in a derogatory way, very offensive to anybody. It was a caricature of African people entertaining white tourists on the beach. And it was, you know, it was just so foul. And it was in a very visible spot in City Hall, right on the mezzanine, which was visible when you walk in the door. And it was a place um, where at that time, also, you paid your water bill, and many, many African people did come to City Hall to actually pay their water bill and had to encounter this offensive thing, um, this vicious, vicious depiction, a white nationalist um, 
derogatory, very insulting and degrading depiction of African people every time that they walked into that building. So it was a welcome thought when Chairman O'Malley Chappelle was at a press conference in 1966 in December with other members of the African community, other members of SNCC, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, and Africans who were protesting different questions of, of different um, manifestations of the colonial conditions that African people face. And the media, as the chairman tells it, the media that was there on the steps of City Hall began making fun of, of some of the African workers. And the chairman just, like, turned around and marched inside and ripped that down. And then they proceeded to march down Central Avenue holding that until they were arrested. But as the chairman says and describes it, even the police were shaking. They were scared. Um, and it was just heralded. It was a bold act of... Um, defiance and resistance that really reverberated around the world. This was one of the first acts such as this. And it was, it preceded, you know, the action of the Black Panthers in California where they went armed to Sacramento to the state, um, you know, the, the offices of the state in 1967. And it was an act of, well, black power. It was, it was very, very powerful. And it's something that the city itself has never reconciled. And at times, when the chairman, well, in 1996, there was an incredible, incredible African uprising that went on for a couple, several years um, in St. Petersburg following the uh, murder, the police murder of 18-year-old Tyron Lewis, just a few blocks, really two or three blocks down from the Uhuru House, from Quabba Hall. And um, the chairman emerged as the de facto mayor of the African community at that time. He was the leader in every way. He was where the, the media went to him. Um, the African community, the petty bourgeoisie, the African workers, everyone recognized him. And a, uh, the first African police chief was put in, installed in St. Petersburg, as a result of this period. And he um, was quoted in the St. Petersburg Times as saying that the Uhuru House would be treated by the police department under his watch as an embassy, so that any one could no one could be arrested inside of the Uhuru House, and they could go there for safe haven. Haven, and it was really uh, it was really a powerful statement. It was what the party is talking about, and and really uh, building out the struggle for power, for political and economic power in their hands. So there is so much more to say, and I know we have a lot of other issues here, but this is really really important and something that is. Um, it needs to be um, just out there and known by the general public in this country, yeah. um, and especially from the white community, because, you know, this was considered art, and I've met white people who 
upheld it as art. How yeah. could that happen? Yeah. You know, and, and this was, you know, obviously a white nationalist attack on the African working class, as we said. Right. And the chairman was very, very powerful. And when we think about how in the last few years, all these cities, uh, African people are demanding that all Confederate statues of Confederate generals and Confederate flags, et cetera, be taken down. And city after city has had to do that. Well, the chairman did this in 1966. Mm-hmm. You know, so... It was very, um, he was very much ahead of his time in every way. And it's something that we do have to have events about and get the word out and for people to understand. Now, the city council has voted before um, in in the 1990s when the chairman ran for mayor, I think, in 2001. So actually, right around that time, they also voted to put up a plaque. But the words on the plaque was not acceptable to the chairman. First of all, I called him Joseph Waller. His name is yeah. legally Omalia Chappella. Mm-hmm, right. And many other things. So it didn't depict it as he would. Mm-hmm. So this question of the plaque again, now they're bringing it up again, apparently they did vote to agree to that, um, would be, um, you know, it has to be, as even a member of the city council who has been hostile to the Hula movement throughout her entire career. Darden Rice has said the chairman has to be involved in this. And and I just want to make one other point, and that is that it is very profound to realize that this mural that was on the wall was uh, one of two. So it, it goes up like a double-sided um, staircase. You know, like a mezzanine, it goes up the stairs, a mezzanine, then it branches off into two stairways that go up to the second floor where you have to go if you're going to city council meetings. So on the left side, as you're facing it, the mural, the matching mural, which did not have African people in it, is still there. But on the right side, it has been empty since 1966. So what is that? 54 years? You know, it's... The city has never been able to put something there because they know that the African community um, had tremendous support for the chairman's action and still do, mm-hmm. and that the empty wall itself has been a kind of memorial to that. Yeah, exactly. Um, and for it to have a plaque, I, I do think that perhaps that could be acceptable to the chairman. I don't know, but it will only be acceptable if it um, represents what the African People's Socialist Party wants to say about it. So, uh-huh. anyway, it's a very powerful struggle, and it just they, it just doesn't go away for them. <laughs> it just doesn't right. go away. It has really changed, permanently changed the legacy of this city, of St. Petersburg. Uh-huh. It's, it's really quite amazing how many times that we have been through this, and the, the most recent... Um, kind of uh, attempt that they made, which I guess was in 2016 or something that said in the article. I remember when that happened and how far they actually got in the process where they actually had two murals that were up for consideration. Mm -hmm. Um, One, which was by a, um, a a possibly uh, CIA connected um, painter uh, who painted the chairman being painted by George Snow Hill. Oh. 
and <laughs> it was it was this sort yeah, of sorry. horrible, hideous Salvador Dali knockoff thing that was meant to uh, portray a kind of um, reconciliation between the chairman and uh, George Snow Hill. And then the other painting was the, the one I mentioned earlier, the basket of eggs uh, one. And the, bat, the egg basket painting was chosen. So they, they voted. The committee voted, and then they were ready to yeah. put that mural up. They brought it to city council, and in that meeting where they were getting ready to vote for putting up the egg basket mural, the Uhuru movement was there. Representatives of the movement gave powerful statements, did a PowerPoint presentation, actually. Mm-hmm. And they ended up you know, saying, like, all right, well, we're going to go ahead and just do nothing. It's going to stay blank. And I really agree with what you said, uh, Chairwoman Penny, that the blank wall is itself the statement. Right. And I, uh-huh. I thought it was telling what Darden Rice said, that it's this – it's this um, scar that's never been healed. It's this unresolved uh-huh. thing in the city. And it's that she's right, even though she's not in the way that she thinks, but um, because she thinks the scar has been healed and that everything is wonderful and progressive and inclusive and blah, 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 blah. So therefore, we need to get over it and just put up a plaque and call it a day. Right. Um, but the chairman has pointed out that the mural, yeah. the mural was offensive, not simply because it portrayed um, African people in this freakish, monstrous manner, but because it reflected the city's relationship and the white population's yeah. relationship to African people and that that and the conditions and that has not changed the 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 no, relationship it's of than ever. it's worse yeah. than ever and, and we can see that from the murder of Marquise exactly Golden, from, exactly. from from the pinning of what we all saw with our own eyes on that video <laughs> uh, that it was the sheriff's deputy who murdered him yeah and they're pinning it on Delvin Ford we wouldn't be talking about Citrus Grove apartment complex, which we don't have time to get to, but there was an attempt by the slumlord there to shut off the water of the right. residents who were paying their water bill there you go. at this very same location. So it's the same St. Pete City government right. that has been maintaining inhumane colonial conditions for the African population. And until that is addressed, no, the city council is not allowed to take control of this narrative. This is something that, that was started by the vanguard of the African working class, and it's going to finish there. So I want to thank Chairman Amalia Chatella for doing the people of this city a great public service and bringing down that disgusting mural. He is, he is a hero to mm-hmm. the people and for many reasons, including that one. So mm-hmm. salute Chairman mm-hmm. Amalia Chatella for doing that. Uhuru. Uhuru. Thank you for that summation. We're going to move on now to our next segment, our last segment on reparations in action, Behind the Lines. This portion of our show today, let's talk about the story that seems to be dominating the headlines these days. Anytime you turn on your TV or pick up a newspaper, especially if it's a ruling class newspaper or television station, it's the impeachment trial of U.S. President Donald John Trump. At the center of the case for impeachment is a phone call Trump made to Ukrainian President uh, Vladimir Zelensky, in which he encouraged him to dig up dirt on Joe Biden's son, Hunter, Mm. and his employment with a Ukrainian gas company, Burisma. It is alleged that Trump withheld $400 million in military aid from Ukraine for weeks to pressure Zelensky into investigating the Biden's activity in Ukraine. The most recent story is that Trump's former national security advisor, John Bolton, claims in a forthcoming book from a leaked manuscript of that book that Trump told him that the goal of withholding aid from Ukraine was tied to his inquiries about the Bidens. Hmm. So let's open this Uhuru. up. Let's open this up. Uhuru. Yeah, I, I certainly, and I do want to get Comrade Jesse's input on this too, but I, you know, just to say, 
Congo for the interest of imperialism, and you can see what's happening there, and that's another story. But um, basically what happened yesterday at the um, in the hearings was that the Republicans sort of opened up a trial of, of Biden, of Joe Biden and of right. Hunter Biden, yep. exposing that, and just shows what filthy dogs they are. And this yeah. is really just one example. And, you know, but that Biden, Hunter Biden, immediately upon um, Joe Biden going to Ukraine, which the U.S. that that coup, by the yeah, way, and right. was, is there to guard the interests and be an attack on Russia, mm-hmm. um, a, a military and financial and economic assault on the um, self-determination of the Russian government. But when he went there under uh, Obama, his son immediately got on the board of the Ukrainian gas corporation called Burisma um, until he was exposed in, you know, just a few months ago. Yeah. And when he knew these hearings were coming up. So Burisma, as they said, and I was really interesting that they did put it out, was owned by a corrupt Ukrainian, Mykola Zolachevsky, who was, who was Minister of Ecology and Natural Resources. He was like the head of the biggest fossil fuel industry, and he was the head of Ecology and Natural Resources in in um, in Ukraine. And he was he was exposed. He was exposed as they call him an oligarch and um, a self enriched. He just made himself incredibly rich with millions and millions of dollars based on this. And um, Burisma, as a corporation, is registered in Cyprus, which is a known, the biggest offshore banking haven with, quote, one of the, quote, dirtiest banks in the world, full of drug money, um, laundering arms, money laundering, any kind of thing to, to get away from the sight of, of anybody like mine. This, this is clearly... You know, there's so much more to say about right. it. Yeah. But there was nothing, there was nothing in the New York Times today about that. Right, I mean, yeah. it went on for hours. And yeah. It was really, really interesting. I would just say one other thing. That this is, they are filthy dogs. Yeah, All yeah they are. They are filthy dogs. The Democrats, in some ways, more so. Because they get away with the assault on African people. And, and you know, I mean... I just, the thing that makes me angry is that Biden's um, complicity and, and actual leadership in the crime bill, in the criminalization of African people, right. in the three yeah. strikes you're out, mm-hmm. and all of these methods that are responsible for what's happening to Marquise Golden and Elvin Ford, you know, and, and so many others, and Michael Brown, and so many others today, are the result of Biden's wrote that with Bill Clinton, the Democrats, that never comes out as right. a problem. Right. What right. comes out, of course, is all the other, you know, some of the other things mm-hmm. that he does, and naturally they all do it. But I, I think that the, the incredible crime is his assault on the yeah. African community over and over again, yeah. which yeah. is continuing to today. <coughs> over real. Over real.
that's the primary contradiction that they constantly want to give us something else to look at rather than the status of African people uh, right. in Africa and, and outside the U.S. Uhuru. Yeah, I, I appreciate the, the summation. And, um, you know, I think just to kind of reference something that Chairman O'Malley Shetela said on Sunday when during the O'Malley taught me study, somebody asked him what he thought about it. Um, he, he also acknowledged how incredibly boring the hearings are, generally mm-hmm. speaking, and that um, for him and for the African People's Socialist Party, he said, uh, you know, if Trump is removed or if Trump stays, neither will benefit African people. Right. And uh, I, think right. that's, I think that's right. a really important point is that, like the chairman said, mm-hmm. it's not like the good guys over here, you know, Adam Schiff and all of these, uh, mm-hmm. these Democrats and then the bad guys over there that are nasty, corrupt Trumpites, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, the chairman actually pointed out, he said the last time the Uhuru movement saw Adam Schiff it was when he was in uh, St. Louis presiding over the installation of the ne- National Geospatial Intelligence Organization in the African community. Mm-hmm. So this is the guy. And we were, and the Antietam was protesting. Yeah, exactly. That's why we saw him out there. <laughs> right. So this is the guy who's now like, you know, a hero to the liberals um, for his role in kind of managing the impeachment hearings uh, as the, the uh, House Intelligence Committee chair. So that was one thing. And then can, can, can you say yeah. something briefly for our listeners who don't know what the National Geospatial Agency the na- the is? The National Geospatial Intelligence uh, Agency is a spy agency, um, a massive 99-acre spy agency that's being created, that's being built um, after moving out, you know, hundreds of African families. That's being built in the north side of St. Louis, not that far from the Uhuru House, actually. That is used to you know, provide coordinates and mappings to drone strike operations that can spy on people from thousands of miles in the sky and be able to see a stick of butter on your plate in mm-hmm. your house from, a, from you know, spy uh, installations and things like that. So it's an att- counterinsurgency and gentrification, which are one and the same, that's happening in St. Louis against, again, you know, that's being displacing the community, the African community, and also ramping up the counterinsurgency against mm-hmm. both Africans here around the world and, and other oppressed peoples. So the Uhuru movement has a campaign called um, No Way to the NGA <coughs> that Chairman Penny mentioned that had those demonstrations. So, but back on the impeachment trial, um, yeah, the, the stuff about the Bidens, it was really striking how little mention was made of this in the, the liberal side, side of the bourgeois media this morning because when you listen to the, the hearings yesterday, you really would have thought perhaps that Joe Biden was the one being uh, impeached. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, w- the stuff that they were putting out about Joe Biden is not crazy conspiracy theory stuff. I mean, no, it is true. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, like you said, Penny, I mean, they're, they're, they're trash on all sides mm-hmm. and they're all uh-huh. involved in this kind of, uh, you know, so-called corruption and things like that. Um, one thing about Burisma that, you know, like you said, this company was um, the, all of this is happening in the aftermath of the 2014 coup mm-hmm. where the U.S. overthrew the government uh, in, in Ukraine and replaced it with one that would be more pliable and also function more as a bulwark against Russian interests um, there. So and then there was this whole thing. And then we were supposed to believe that, like, Russia was invading everybody. And then they annexed Crimea, which was traditionally part of Russia, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Burisma was already under investigation and being was mired in scandal and charges of corruption before Hunter Biden got a job with them. Right. So, I mean, the 
for money laundering, for embezzlement, for all this kind of stuff. In fact, Zolachevsky is MIA. Nobody even knows where he is. Uh, there's rumors that he lives somewhere on the French Riviera. Like he, he doesn't even show his face. So it's really interesting that in despite all of that, you know, it was right around that time that Biden, Hunter Biden went over there with no experience with the gas industry or anything like that mm-hmm. and gets a $50,000 a week job working for $80,000 $80, a week a month. For what I heard, they got the 17 months, they got $80,000 each, he and his friend. Yeah, so, um, so this is, yeah, so, I mean, it's really just obvious what's going on there. And um, actually, Biden went to Ukraine because Biden was assigned by Obama to be like the crusader against corruption in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. So he went to Ukraine and demanded that the Ukrainian government fire their top prosecutor. I think his name was Stukov or something. And they, they demanded that he would be fired because he was investigating Burisma. Mm-hmm. And there's actually um, audio of Biden saying we're, the U.S. is going to withhold a billion dollars in aid to the government of Ukraine unless you fire Stukov, which is hilarious because it's exactly yeah. what they're accusing yeah. Trump mm-hmm. of doing, except Trump withheld $400 million and, and the Obama administration withhold a billion. Mm-hmm. So it's not, you know, they all do it. It's U.S. imperialism yeah. built on slavery and genocide and, and, you know, murder of African people and colonized peoples all around the world. So they're all filthy and... Um, it's an intra-bourgeois yeah. struggle. Exactly. It's, it, it, it's, yeah. it's, it's the ruling class uh, sectors squabbling with each other over who gets to control the state, who gets to right. control the weaponry that's aimed at African people, exactly. that's aimed at indigenous people, that's aimed at colonized people. And it, it's quite a thing to watch. It's definitely the crisis of imperialism, as mm-hmm. the chairman's been summing up for years now. And you just get to see them tearing each other apart. And it's imperialism like tearing itself apart in a certain way mm-hmm. as part of the crisis, which itself, which is being caused by the resistance and anti-colonial struggle of African people. So I just unite with the chairman that, you know, it's not, it's neither, you know, whether he's removed or not is not good unless, you know, it's, we take advantage of it. And as right. the solidarity movement, take advantage of imperialism's crisis to go into the white community and win white people to see the truth about this whole nasty social system and, you know, join under the leadership of the African Revolution and fighting for a different kind of world. So, Uhuru. Uhuru. This has been an incredibly yeah. exciting conversation. <clears throat> I hate to be the voice that reminds us of what time it is, but it is 12.54. And James, uh, yes. we, we didn't get to talk about our – we had another segment called Reparations on the Frontline. Mm-hmm. So, I'm sorry we didn't get to go into that, but definitely next week um, when we come okay. back, we will be discussing that with you, Chairwoman Penny, actually in person, which is going to be great. great. Um, yeah, very exciting. Yeah. So it is true. going to be very exciting. This is going to be a very powerful campaign, a very powerful plenary coming up of the African People's <laughs> Socialist Party. And uh, as the Uhuru Solidarity Movement, you'll hear next week when we talk to Chairwoman Penny Hess about the campaign for reparations for mass incarceration of African people. So please uh, stay tuned next Tuesday, same channel, uh, Black Power 96.3, 12 p.m., uh, for that show. And uh, as we close out, we want to remind everyone that the black revolution is alive. 
the African People's Socialist Party Plenary 2020 Vanguard Up Unity of Theory and Practice is happening February 1st through 3rd, 2020 here at the Aquaba Hall of the Uhuru House located at 1245 18 Avenue South in St. Petersburg, Florida. If you'd like to register for that, you can go to APSPplenary.org. Again, registration for the Plenary of the African People's Socialist Party, APSPplenary.org, and that's spelled P-L-E-N-A-R-Y, plenary.org. And Jesse, can you tell us about the Uhuru Solidarity Movement's convention, April 18th to 19th? Reparations Uprising is the theme of our convention this year, and it's going to be an incredible national conference to build white solidarity with black liberation, socialism, and reparations to African people. It's going to be at the Aquaba Hall, 4101 West Florissant Ave in St. Louis, Missouri. You can register at usmconvention2020.eventbrite.com, and you can um, have the opportunity to hear Chairman Amalia Shetela himself speak uh, to the Uhuru Solidarity Movement, which works under his leadership, as well as Chairwoman Penny Hess, who will be giving one of the keynote presentations, and leaders of the Uhuru Movement and Solidarity Movement from throughout the country. It's an amazing experience to, to come together, to be in the headquarters of the Black Power Blueprint, and this is going to be a convention unlike any other we've ever had. This is going to propel us, launch us into a year of just constant struggle on a higher level you know to demand reparations from the prison industry from the diamond trade from all the sectors the money sector of of the white ruling class we mm -hmm. want to take reparations as a revolutionary demand into the white population in a in a whole new way so that's what this convention is going to help us to do thank you uhuru. for saying that uhuru I, I think it's so important that this organization unites with the fact that re reparations is a revolutionary demand it's part and parcel of the African Revolution. It's it's the African Revolution in in white face in the white community. So uh, please stay tuned next week where we'll be diving into that question of taking on the moneyed sector of the white ruling class and demanding reparations. And we uh, do encourage everyone to, if you unite with this, if you want to take a stand in solidarity with the black community, you want to take a stand for reparations to African people worldwide to end this colonial nightmare, you can join the Uhuru Solidarity Movement. And if I'm not mistaken, you can do that still by going to uhurusolidarity.org. Become a member. Get involved. We will, we will come to your city. If you're listening to the podcast, which, by the way, you'll be able to find on uhurusolidarity.podbean.com, as well as on Spotify, iTunes, iPodcast, and many other platforms, um, join the Uhuru Solidarity Movement. Build reparations to African people in your city. Excellent. Uhuru, uh, Chairwoman Penny Hess, we have about one minute. Is, do you have any closing comments? Well, just this has been a great show. I'm, I'm very excited about Reparations in Action becoming a regular show every Tuesday at this time. And just really want to salute all of you there in St. Pete who did an amazing job. And looking forward to the 2020 plenary of the African People's Socialist Party this weekend, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. Uhuru. We want to salute and thank Chairwoman Penny Hess for the African People's Solidarity Committee. I want to thank my co-host Jesse Neville, chair of the Uhuru Solidarity Movement. I want to thank Amanda Carlozzi, our outstanding engineer, and all of you, our wonderful listeners, for tuning in to this episode of Reparations in Action on Black Power 96.3 WBPU-FM in St. Petersburg. We'll talk to you next week. Uhuru. Uhuru. Uhuru.